Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochilillo. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And thank you. before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank my contributors to the show, who are executive producers, Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Who Do Cleansing Protection Magic, monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of Is Not Aliens, It's Worse, it's us and my binaural production engineer, Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great. And if you are interested in becoming a contributor to this podcast, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without any further ado, our guest for today is Jim Willis. Thank you for coming back on, Jim. Good to see you, Gary. How, how have you been? I have been... Pretty damn good, actually. I have to say, I cannot complain. <laughs> it's been a been a been a tough year, that's for sure. It's <clears throat> different, but uh, definitely learned a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So, I have a question for you. Sure. Who wrote the Bible? Um. Okay. <laughs> How much time we got? <laughs> <laughs> a couple hours. <laughs> Oh, this is uh, this is something that I've been studying for oh all my life, literally all my life. I, I was uh, I was born right into in the middle of what were two of the greatest discoveries of uh, ancient biblical research. Uh, the dead. I was born in forty six. Uh, the Nag Hammadi scrolls of, with the New Testament were found in Egypt in nineteen forty five. And the Dead Sea Scrolls, the first of them, were discovered in 47. Mm -hmm. So I was born right smack in the middle of two great archaeological discoveries that just turned biblical scholarship on its head. So uh, that that was uh, something that, like I say, I've been studying ever since I was a kid. And mm -hmm. when you say when you say who wrote the Bible, um, I finally had a chance after 75 years. I finally had a chance to. Uh, put down in print something that I've been studying for literally my whole life. So it, it, it's been, it's been exciting. It is an awesome book. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> and, and he didn't give me the same answer that my parents gave me, which was God wrote it. God, God wrote the Bible. <laughs> I had to, I had to fight for the title of the book. Uh, it's called censoring God. And uh, it's a kind of an ironic um, title. But I wanted to do something that would kind of grab attention a little bit, because that's the answer you're going to get when you ask people who wrote the Bible. God wrote the Bible. And that great bumper sticker says it all. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. You know, um, <laughs> and it's just not that way at all. Uh, I, I knew from an early age, um, but I never really worked on it, uh, the same kind of stuff that most people know but don't think about we like to get the idea that the bible came to us straight from the mouth of god yeah. um the the mormons have this uh um that kind of doctrine when it's talking about the book of mormon they believe that the bible was 
written down on gold plates and mm -hmm. Joseph Smithing, uh, uh, you know, de Matt would manage to decipher it. Um, uh, conservative uh, Jews have this idea that God wrote the Ten Commandments and the Pentateuch, um, the first five books of the Bible with his very own finger on tablets of stone and gave it to Moses. Um, Islam has the idea that Muhammad went into the cave and uh, was dictated um the the quran was dictated and that's the way most christians have the idea you know god god wrote the bible but uh it just wasn't that way it 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 really uh shakes people to the core when they realize that between well first of all we don't have any of the original manuscripts of the bible right. not one uh, not even close and when they realize that uh, the books that we do have uh, between us and the original authors, there is a committee. Uh, it was a committee of men um, that met. And even what we what Christians call the Old Testament, which we all we all like to think that Jesus read the Old Testament just mm -hmm. like we have it because it was written before Jesus. But that wasn't even the case. Uh, um, the Bible, the Old Testament, or the Jewish scriptures, they didn't come together in the form that we know about until, uh, oh, in the late first century after Jesus. Um, you know, the, what in, in the time of Jesus, uh, he had scriptures, but not, not the way that we have them. Um, <laughs> for one thing, you'd see these great big scrolls, you know, and you have to pick these scrolls up out of this box and open them up. Picture up a couple of rolling pins with mm -hmm. 36 feet of paper wrapped around them, you know. And that was only for one book. So uh, when it uh, when the New Testament in the Gospel of Luke says Jesus stood up and found the scripture of Isaiah that he read, the famous uh, passage uh, in Isaiah, he literally had to search for it. He had to go through mm -hmm. this big box and find the find the scrolls and then pick it up and open it up and find the place. And, and the the uh, story is that the Old Testament or the Jewish scriptures was put together in the town of Jamnia. And to be honest, it was kind of a political document as much as anything, because uh, um, in the late first century after Jesus had been had, had been dead for 60, 70 years, the committee met in this town of Jamnia. And uh, they had a, a political problem involved. A lot of Jews were dropping out of Judaism to join this new Jesus cult that became oh. Christianity. And they wanted to keep him in the fold. And so they figured they needed this, this document that would be the same, that all Jews would have the same document. So they put it together. And that meant picking and choosing. Certain books they chose, others they rejected. And uh, <laughs> that's why I call the history of the lost books of or the excluded scriptures uh, i if there's one time of history i'd like to be able to go back to it would be to go back to the town of jamnia and look in the wastebaskets uh, to see <laughs> see what they threw away you know the the new testament was even worse um in the council of hippo 393 ce that's you know four centuries three centuries after almost four centuries after jesus uh, in the town of Carthage in 397. And that was a totally political document. Uh, Constantine had become the leader of this, or the uh, emperor of this far-flung Roman Empire that went all the way, you know, across the Mediterranean from Europe all the way into the into the uh, the Near East. 
and uh, he, he had to cement this empire somehow. And the question was, how do you do it? Well, he decided to use religion. And so his people went together and they picked this book and rejected that one and and uh, eventually put together a document that everybody could accept. And uh, it led to all kinds of problems because there were many, many different kinds of Christianity back in those right. days. There was, for instance, in, in, in Egypt, um, there was this whole Gnostic set, uh, sect in, in Egypt uh, Constantine wanted to be able to crack the whip and say, you know, in order to be a member of the Romans of, of civilization or to be a Roman citizen, you, you know, you're, you're going to have to become Christian and here's the book. Um, and in order to do that, of course, that gave Constantine and through the church a tremendous amount of power over people's lives. But in this Gnostic set, sect down in Egypt, they had this radical idea that you didn't need anybody between you and God. You didn't need a priest. You didn't need a government. Anybody can go to God. Well, that doesn't help you solidify an empire. So the Gnostics were declared heretics, and uh, their books were ordered burned. And thank goodness there were some oh Gnostic priests who just couldn't burn these scriptures. And so they went and buried him instead. And they buried him in the desert, and there they sat until uh, the year 1945, when they were finally, finally dug, dug up. And lo and behold, they tells it, it. It told us that there weren't four gospels: Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. There were like 30 of them. <laughs> uh, some of them even written. Oh, horrors! One of them, Gospel of Mary, even was said, said to be written by a woman. Well, can't have that. So that was that was uh, was kicked out. And what really bothered me was these people must have known what they were doing because not only did they reject certain books, they ordered their rejects burned. Uh, they ordered them destroyed. But little did they know that some of those rejects were sitting out and buried in the sands of the Egyptian desert or buried up in the dead the this the uh, Dead Sea above mm -hmm. that above that area. So thank thank goodness we've got them. But. Uh, uh, it was it was not at all the way most people think when it comes to who wrote the Bible. Wow. So, so there was definitely a, more politics involved than anything mm -hmm. else. It, it's a shame that they destroyed so much. They, they really oh, destroyed yeah. human history. Yes. That's why yeah. I think there's so many holes in what we know about ourselves. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. Um, I have a a um, YouTube video up on my YouTube page that's called One Ring to Rule Them All. Um, I didn't make that up, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I heard that somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but it's called One Ring to Rule Them All. And basically, it's a video that goes back to the beginning of uh, the big five religions in the world today, which, you know, uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, and then Hinduism and Buddhism. And it goes back to the beginning of every one of these religions, goes back to a founder, or in the case of Hinduism, a number of founders, a founder who had a almost a shamanic encounter mm -hmm. with, with, uh, with, with God or the entity that they thought was God, and uh, then tried to put that encounter into words. And his disciples later built a religion around it. That's where they came up with the dogmas and the doctrines and everything else. But if you go back to that original founder, you find sometimes a 
totally different idea than uh, what later developed. And uh, that what later developed was almost always was a political thing. And you know, the strange thing is, you don't even have to go back in time to see why this is so important, because this idea of a committee uh, using God to influence people is still in practice. As a matter of fact, just a few months ago, um, Joe Biden, who was only the second Roman Catholic uh, president we've ever had, and certainly one of the most devout Christians or devout Catholics we've ever mm -hmm. had, um, Joe Biden had a, a, during his whole career, he um, believed, for instance, in, uh, uh, he, he, he didn't believe in abortion. He thought abortion was wrong, but he didn't believe that his political ideas should be put into, I mean, his religious ideas should be put into practice. Mm -hmm. So he didn't have a strong anti-abortion um, voting record. And because of that, just recently, uh, a couple of months ago, a group of uh, American conservative Roman Catholic bishops decided that they were going to use the religion to influence uh, Joe Biden when, when he became president. And they were going to, de to deny him the Eucharist. And they were saying, you can't take communion because of your, uh, your stance on abortion. And so what they were doing was using religion for political ends. Now, it didn't get anywhere, right. um, at least yet, but, but it was still the same old thing. Uh, in, in Roman Catholicism, the Eucharist, the Mass, is an avenue to God. And what they were saying is, we're going to deny you an avenue to God unless you get your politics in line with ours. So it's still going on today. You know, this is not a new thing. Now, one of the things that you mentioned in your book that kind of caught me off guard was about the Eucharist possibly originally being psychedelic mushrooms. Ah, yeah, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? Um, something happened to the human race, uh, oh, at least 40,000 years ago, maybe more. Uh, 40,000 years ago, we were uh, we we at least as far as we can tell, um, we didn't have the idea of the same of, of that um, uh, religious idea that uh, we we had today. But forty thousand years ago, everything changed. People went into the great painted caves of Western Europe, and they had these visions of, of spirituality, and they painted these visions on the walls of the cave. And some people think that. The, the thing that opened up the human mind and made that step possible, made mm -hmm. religion possible, was the idea that these people may have discovered either psychedelic mushrooms or plants or something. And there has been a, a story right on through uh, that the original Eucharist might very well have been people gathering together and taking basically psychedelic plants of some kind. Um, ayahuasca is seen as a religious experience. Um, the natives of uh, Western America, um, the peyote buttons uh, is used even in in the Christian, the the Native American Christian Church. Uh, um, they still use uh, peyote buttons as as the Eucharist, and um, some people think that that may have been the original whole idea. People would gather together, have these psychedelic experiences together, and uh, that was when symbolic thought really began in the human brain. Interesting. interesting idea. It is, it is an interesting idea. Um, one of the other things that you mentioned in the 
But it you 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 touch on a lot of similarities, um, especially about Genesis in the flood story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's another one I had to fight for. <laughs> uh, when I was uh, talking to my editor about this, he said, "Listen, I understand, but can't you just say that a lot of cultures had flood stories and leave it at that? Do you have to go on for six pages?" You know, and I said, "No, you just can't say." Other nations, I mean, other uh, religions had flood stories or other cultures had flood stories without telling them what they were. And that was that is something that I find just amazing. The flood story is a universal story all over the world. Um, By the time it was written down in the book of Genesis, uh, it was already an old story that had been told ever since the time of Sumerians and the Hopi Indians had a flood story and the, the Aztecs and the Maya and the Egyptians and everywhere you go, you find these flood stories. And um, it was really strange because if the only uh, example we had of a flood story was found in the book of Genesis, it would be very confusing. Uh, in Genesis chapter five, it has this strange, strange verse about the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were fair and they came to earth and mated with them and produced this whole race that the Bible calls Nephilim. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's called uh, giants. Um, and because of that, because of these hybrids, which were sons of God, daughters of men, and the offspring of this union. Because of this, the Bible says, uh, God decided to destroy the flood, uh, destroy the world with a great flood. And that was the purpose of Noah's flood, according to the Bible, according to Genesis. Um, But there is always, uh, united with that flood story, uh, in every single culture that has a flood story, all of them talk about um, the idea of human hubris somehow bringing it on, or somehow humans overstep the bounds. Um, if you go back to the, uh, uh, the the classic flood story of Atlantis, for instance, uh, Plato tells us that when the divine element in the original Atlantis Atlanteans, mm-hmm. when it became weakened and their human traits became predominant, they ceased to be able to carry their prosperity with moderation. Boy, if ever there's a, a, a scripture from Plato that talks about the modern day, that's about it, isn't it? Yeah. It's always humans reaching too far and God saying, okay, that's it. I'm done. And uh, I'm going to do a do-over. And so that's the whole idea. And there's always somebody that, that finds favor, finds grace in the eyes of the Lord, whether it's uh, Noah or Adnapashtim uh, or any of these um, a hero from the Hopi legends or anywhere, there's always somebody who is remaining faithful and somehow passes through through the waters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's a very, very common story. Yeah, so I mean, it, it, it was probably an actual event, not a metaphor. Well, yeah, I can't help but think it, it, it's so universal that it may not have been a worldwide flood that actually flooded the whole world, but it must have been an event that was so big and uh, that it seemed like it to the population who was mm-hmm. living there. Um, personally, I think you can, uh, I'm, I'm becoming more and more convinced that you can track this back 
to uh, a great uh, comet or asteroid hitting the Earth, a comet probably hitting the Earth about 12,000 years ago, um, it segmented before it hit the Earth. But it put the Earth into a, a huge deep freeze. We were coming out of the Ice Age, and then suddenly a new Ice Age began, and the Younger Dryas Ice Age. And uh, the water levels went down and down and down as this as the glaciers built up bigger and bigger and bigger. And then uh, after about 1,200 years, well, around 11,800 years ago, um, something happened again. Maybe it was us going through that comet stream again, uh, hitting the Earth again. But suddenly we came out of the Ice Age uh, and all of these ice dams that had been blocking up these huge lakes, they just melted almost overnight in the blink of a geological eye. And the water levels went way up. And And uh, I think this w was certainly experienced out in the what's called the Scablands out in America, uh, in, in Western America and uh, North America. And um, the Great Lake and, and Lake, uh, you know, lakes that they, they can now see. Uh, the evidence of it, they just burst and all of this water just flooded into the oceans. The oceans came up. There were probably tidal waves. Uh, there were probably it, it provoked everything from earthquakes and everything else. And it must have been something to behold. The whole the thing is, though, that there were people around to see it. Uh, the Clovis culture was flourishing in America. They must have seen that. Um, fire in the sky. Down here where I live in South Carolina, you can find Carolina bays all over the place that were probably formed when this comet hit up in Michigan and flung all this ice and stone and rocks and everything else up into the atmosphere. And when they came back down here in the Carolinas, they formed all these what we call Carolina bays, these oval depressions that all point in the same direction. And sea levels coming up. Uh, Florida inundated. Um in Europe and the Mediterranean and all the rest of these things. And I, I think that could be considered a genesis uh, for all these flood stories, especially since the date when the comet hit corresponds exactly to the date that Plato gave hmm. about when Atlantis went down. Uh, if he had to choose dates and if he was just writing a story to teach a student something, why did he happen to choose a specific date and why did it correspond so perfectly with that uh, younger Dryas comet. Um, I don't know, too much of a coincidence for me. Definitely. Um, one of the other interesting things that you touch on is um, the crucifixion of Jesus, you know, and the resurrection. Um, and there's so many different takes on it. And yeah. I, I've always had my own one that I believe um, but but mention some of these that that people may have never heard before that are in some of the scrolls that are out there and even in the Bible, you mentioned that, that some of the some of the people that mention Jesus in the Bible don't actually even talk about the crucifixion. That that's strange. Uh, the Gospel of Mark is probably the earliest gospel that we have. It was probably written first, and in the original copies that we have are the oldest copies of the gospel of Mark that we have, uh, there's no final chapter. The resurrection is not even in there. It just ends with the crucifixion. And then later, much later, um, a final chapter was added. Uh, and the last chapter of Mark in most Bibles now contains a, 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 a thing about the resurrection. Mm -hmm. 
but oh, there's all kinds of stories. Um, one of my favorites is that uh, one of during, if I can remember it exactly, now uh, during uh, Jesus's uh, mystery years, the years we don't know about between the ages of sixteen and thirty. Um, he was said to uh, make all kinds of journeys. Perhaps he went to England. Perhaps he went to Japan. Perhaps he went to India. Um, and uh, some of the old stories of the resurrection say that after Jesus was crucified, he didn't really die. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's why the body was gone. And he went back. As a matter of fact, to this day in Japan, in a little city in Japan, every year they still have a, uh, a, a big festival uh, marking the day that uh, Jesus died as an old, old man in living in Japan. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, India has the same kind of tradition that uh, he he left and went to India. Um, it's just all kinds of ideas about this. But uh, however, we have been told uh, the one version. However, there's an Egyptian uh story about Horus that matches almost exactly uh, yes. the, the crucifixion. Horus, crucified between two thieves, died, resurrected, went down into uh, into Hades, and there freed the souls that were waiting. And it's, it's almost an exact copy of this, the, uh, the story of Jesus. So when we think that when we're, what we're reading in our Bibles is somehow unique, it, it's not. It's just not the case. I'm not going to say it's true or not true. I'm not going to make that version, that kind of thing. I, I'm a. I'm a reporter, not a, uh, not an evangelist. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to make a point for anything. I just report the stories, and there are many of them that are different than the ones that we hear. Interesting. My thing is, I I think for me the most likely thing that happened was that that Jesus left. Probably went to India, India, studied with with Buddhists and Hindus mm -hmm. and yogis, came back to uh, the was Jerusalem, wherever he was, mm -hmm. and tried to think of a way to teach the people what he had learned. So he kind of adopted his own version of it and tried to teach it in a way that they could understand it. Um, well, yeah, that that's uh, a very popular popular belief. A lot of people, um, you know, a lot of people believe that because they they find tremendous similarities between uh, Christianity and Buddhism. Um, the story of of uh, of Buddha uh, forming, you know, Buddha goes out and sits underneath the the bow tree and has an as he's enlightened. Jesus goes out into the desert. Buddha faces uh, Mara, who, who is the uh, Hindu, or the, the yeah, with that, well, then Hindu uh, concept of the devil. Jesus faced the devil in the wilderness. Mm. Um, Buddha comes back after ha having uh, this experience and uh, preaches a sermon. Uh, it's called the Deer Park Discourse. Jesus comes back and preaches a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. Buddha gathers a group of 12 disciples about him. Jesus gathered a group of 12 disciples. One of those disciples betrayed him. Same thing with Jesus. Uh, the only the big difference is that uh, Jesus died, Buddha lived on. Mm -hmm. And uh, th there's a there's an awful lot of similarities to the story. There really are. Yeah. With with the crucifixion, you know, I, I at first I, I always had the idea 
that 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 Jesus uh, uh, Judas was probably Jesus's brother, and mm-hmm. may have taken Jesus's place on the cross, and Jesus uh-huh. escaped back to India. Yes. Yeah, that's How, that's that's a popular story. Yeah. However, another after reading your book, I'm thinking maybe what happened was just some type of reenactment. Mm. Mm. That's interesting. You know, because you mentioned okay. the horrors and the Egyptian. And I also know yeah. that there's you know similar stories like with Odin. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if it was just a, a reenactment for some reason. Yeah, like an actual can, ritual or something. You you can even take it one step farther. And uh, there are uh, Christian Christian theologians who don't even believe that there was a Jesus at all, uh, that there was no physical, personal mm-hmm. Jesus, uh, that uh, if anything, the story we have is a combination of many different stories of many different kinds of people. And the idea for this is that um, a lot of what happened to Jesus was well known in Egypt. Um and, and the stories were told in Egypt. And anybody who's going from Egypt to anywhere in the world, whether you're traveling to the east, it has to go through. If you're going by land, you have to go over Israel. And the, the Apostle Paul, who was a very educated uh, Roman citizen, as well as a, a Jewish rabbi, uh, uh, he probably, they said, picked up all these stories and put them all together because of course Paul's writing is the first writing we have about Jesus right. put them put them all together and the Jesus is that the Jesus that we know is an invention of the Apostle Paul that's what some people say even some Christian um, scholars believe that so you know I, that's another time of history I'd love to go back to really I never thought of that idea that 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 Paul, concocted this whole thing to lift himself to elevate himself yeah and and not just to elevate himself but also to uh he he was very strong on opening up judaism to the rest of the world Mm -hmm. to the gentile world and uh the question is that people ask about paul was did he use this again as a political document more than a religious document to try to make a religion that was more palatable to uh, non-Jews, to Gentiles. Um, And did he ever mean to break away from Judaism? Perhaps not. Maybe he was just trying to revolutionize Judaism, to fling open the doors, to make it more acceptable for Gentiles to come in. In The book of Acts in the New Testament shows a a great uh, debate that went on at the First Jerusalem Council between Paul and Peter. Peter was saying, no, um, you've got to still be a Jew uh, to be a Christian. And that means being circumcised. And that means not eating certain kinds of foods and, you know, eating kosher and all the rest of the stuff. And the Apostle Paul said no. Uh, and he won the argument. He, he won the debate, so to speak. And so Christianity was uh, opened up. And uh, eventually, 100 years later, when the Jews, were, well, of course, when the Jews were uh, basically forced out into the great diaspora when Roman the Titus and the Roman legions destroyed the the uh, temple in 70 AD. Um, uh, then Christianity triumphed, so to speak, and uh, eventually planted a, uh, a cross on top of the Roman heap, and Christianity became the religion that it is today. Again, these people would say it's it's more 
politics and the Apostle Paul than it was uh, Jesus in the original story. Wow. Um, one of the other things you talk about is, is the, tra- the Shroud of Turin uh, proof that Jesus lived and was crucified? That is fascinating. That's uh, yeah, a, a great question. Uh, the people that I interviewed when I was doing this and the books that I've read when I was, I've been fascinated about the Shroud of Turin now for, oh, 30 years. And the, uh, the people that I talked to, I've discovered that there's two kinds of uh, uh, opinions on this. The people who believe in it say that's the proof. The people who don't believe in it say uh, it's, it's just a, you know, it's just a myth. When you point out that the Shroud of Turin still has not been adequately um, d- uh, understood, uh, you know, it's undoubtedly uh, very, very old, it's either from the time of Jesus or sometimes shortly thereafter. Even, But even if you go to the Middle Ages, it's still very, very old. And when you look at it, plain and simply, the technology did not exist at that time to produce a, a such a clever forgery as the Shroud of Turin. Something happened. This is some kind of a, um, well, it, it's a, a great mystery. Uh, it's not a painting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something seems to be, you know, actually almost like, it's almost like a negative photograph, uh, you know, the, and uh, the technology did not exist at the time. We know that the shroud at least came into being. There was no technology to produce this kind of thing. So what is it? If it's real, um, then... Yeah, it could be proof of a crucifixion, and not only a crucifixion, but a resurrection. And in the act of resurrecting, um, this negative photograph or something, the energy that was required to do that was imprinted on the Shroud of Turin. Did that happen? Who knows? I, After studying and studying it, I, I'm, I'm still back and forth on it a hundred times a day. <laughs> It is. It is interesting, you know. And also, like like the shroud just bears some of the marks from the story too. Like you mm-hmm. see where, you know, the spear where he got hit with, his, you know, stabbed with the spear. And all yeah, that. and and the uh, the blood from mm-hmm. the crown of thorns around the head too. The same thing. Yeah, and and the the uh, the nail holes and the wrists and the ankles. Uh, that's. I don't know. It's if it, if it's a forgery, it was done by one brilliant forgerer who's now lost to history. That's for sure. So I don't know. I just don't know what to make of it. And I kind of like that. I mm-hmm. I like the mystery. I really do. You know, when I was a kid, I remember um, my mom took me to a church somewhere in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> you and the face of Jesus appeared. In the altar cloth, hmm. was hanging on the altar, mm-hmm. and rumor says like they, they had taken it down and tried to wash it and stuff like that. And every time they put it back on the altar, the face it reappeared, hmm. and it was the weirdest thing. I got and then we went and we saw and I saw it. You know, I was like, wow, yeah, you yeah. know, like <clears throat> I still can't really quite explain it. Yeah, um, you know, yeah, and and maybe. Uh, I don't know. Maybe some of these things aren't meant to be explained. Maybe they're just meant to be. It, it certainly opens up a, a, a mystery, a sense of awe and a mm-hmm. sense of wonder. And in that sense, 
I think it's great. Our, our problem, I think, comes is when we put our faith in these kinds of things um, rather than in the impetus behind the story itself. Um, that's a, you know, it, 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 if we convince someone, for instance, to be a Christian because of the Shroud of Turin, then their faith is in the Shroud of Turin more than it is in, in Jesus. Um, and to a certain extent, this is what has happened to Christianity. We have created an idol, and that idol, frankly, is is the Bible. More people put their faith in the Bible than in God. Um, and so if you can just prove that uh, the Bible is somehow not what we think, then boom, your faith goes out the window. That's exactly what happened to me. Uh, I was a fundamentalist minister for a long time, and I was preaching about the Bible. I was doing what all fundamental or later evangelical mm -hmm. ministers do. You gather your proof texts, and you prove the Bible is real, you know, uh, all the things in the Bible, and you talk about it. And I'll never forget the night. I was sitting at my desk one night, and all, my whole theology came crashing down around me because I realized that I wasn't preaching about God anymore. I was preaching about an infallible Bible or a Bible that was to be read in a certain way, my way, the way I was reading it. And I, all of the discrepancies and the different ways of reading the Bible came to the surface, and my, my faith just came crashing down around me because my faith was in a written book which came through a committee uh, which was done hundreds of years sometimes after the fact. And when that happens, uh, then your faith just goes out the window. So I think we have to be very careful when the Old Testament tells us, for instance, not to build idols. The Shroud of Turin is fascinating, but it can become an idol. The Bible mm -hmm. is fascinating, but it can become an idol. Uh, and it just, um, well, I think it's, I think it's, it can be really dangerous. I, I completely agree. Yeah. Do, do you think that Jesus would be happy with the state of affairs with Christianity as it no. is now? No, no. I, I see very little um, in the world today preached in Jesus's name that is uh, anywhere faithful to the idea that, that he had. Uh, he wanted to, if, if he existed and, and if the stories we can read about him are true, it certainly seems that he wanted to point to God, uh, and instead of pointing to God, uh, we didn't follow where he was pointing. We just stopped at him. And some of the stuff that's done in his name today, uh, hatred and bigotry and racism and all of this kind of stuff, you find that rampant. Uh, in in the church today, and it just breaks my heart because I still consider myself a Christian. I still have a reverend in front of mm -hmm. my name. I still, uh, you know, I still read the Bible, read the Bible a lot. Um, I'm in a totally different way, but uh, when I see some of the stuff that's going on in the world today, it it just breaks my heart. It breaks my heart about what the church has become. Wow. Yeah, because because I read. You know the teachings of Jesus. What I see is a lot of forgiveness. Like to me, the whole point of what Jesus was trying to say is like, yeah. forgive people. People are fallible. Yeah. Let them be fallible. Yeah, and forgive them. And 
and don't hurt them for being fallible. Mm-hmm. Like to yeah. me, like that was the message of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and now, in the name of Jesus, let's buy guns and and in the name of Jesus, let's uh, hate. In the name of Jesus, let's cast people out. Uh, and it's it it goes back a long ways when the Crusades, um, when the Crusaders landed. And they got off, and they they couldn't tell the difference between a Christian Arab and a Muslim Arab. Uh, and they said to their leaders, "How do we tell them apart?" And the leaders came back with that cynical, "Ah, kill them all. Let God sort them out." Uh, in the name of Jesus, I I just don't see it. I I just don't. It like I say, it 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 breaks my heart. Um, the Southern Baptist Convention is the largest uh, Protestant denomination here in this country. And I'm sure that within another year or two, we're going to see another breakup there because in this last uh, meeting they had uh, a couple of weeks ago, oh, there was tremendous dissension and anger and booing and hissing and no respect. And, uh, you know, this fights broke out in the aisles uh, all in the name of Jesus. I, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. It doesn't make sense. seems contradictory. It is. I think it is. <laughs> Yeah, totally contradictory. And and uh, we're the poorer for it because there is a, uh, a way of coming at Christianity uh, not in a literal sense. I, I like to say I take the Bible um, very seriously. I don't take it literally, but I take it seriously. And there's so much wisdom there that can be gained if we just – stop the arguing over the doctrines and the dogmas and I'm this kind of Christian and you're that kind of Christian. I I think Jesus would pretty be disgusted by the whole thing. I really I really do. I do too. It's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. Um so one of the things you you also don't just stay with the Bible. You go into some other texts from other yeah. cultures and religions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, um, and and their teachings. Um, one of the things I like, like one of the points I think that I got from from reading that is like a lot of the similarities between, you know, <clears throat> all that. Actually, before I go that, I'm sorry, I just was rambling a little bit. Do you think that Jesus there will be a second coming of Jesus, or some uh, type of Messiah, or some kind of savior? To put us back on the right path? Certainly not in the way people are expecting it today, I don't think. Uh, however, <laughs> it might be the only thing that would hold us. Um, I, th- there is a, a, a great yearning for help from above. I think people are so frustrated. Um, they're so discouraged. They can't even put it into words. What's gone wrong with the world? What have we done that's wrong? I mean, how can we have help? And so we look to help from outside. Uh, and I, I find it fascinating that just about the time Carl Jung did his favorite, his famous uh, uh, article on flying saucers, he said, uh, he was saying this very same thing, that people are looking for a savior. Uh, they want someone to come down and save them, whether it's a political figure or whether it's a, a spiritual figure or a military figure, or an alien, ancient aliens or something like that. They, they begin to think that 
there is no hope for the human race unless somebody steps in from the outside and saves us. And I think that yearning makes its way, especially into Christianity. But we even find it uh, um, in, well, just about every religion. Uh, Tecumseh uh, was in his final battle. Uh, he told one of his um, people who were fighting with him that if I go down in the battle, if you come and strike me three times with the ramrod of the rifle, then uh, I will rise and become the savior. And uh, Tecumseh went down in the battle, and the guy was shot before he could get to him. So people were still waiting for the return of Tecumseh, uh, waiting for the return of Jesus, waiting for the return of the Savior to come. And about the same time that Carl Jung wrote his article about uh, flying saucers, we developed, the Christianity developed the idea of the rapture, the idea that Jesus would take uh, snatch away, or uh, comes from the Greek Latin Latin word raptura, or to snatch away, uh, that people would be all of a sudden just disappeared, taken up to heaven, and then mm -hmm. seven years later, or three and a half years later, right away, depending on what kind of theology you have, Jesus would return and bring a thousand years of peace to the earth, the great millennium. Um, and and I I just don't see it happening like that. I think all of it is a different way of trying to express this idea that we can't do it ourselves. We need help from outside. Um, Hitler was able to tell the, the German people that he was persecuted and at the same time he was going to be their savior. And they bought it. And uh, he began the thousand-year Reich that lasted, what, five years uh, before it fell apart? And, and it was the same idea. People are always looking for help from outside. And I think mm -hmm. that's what we find in Christianity. Jesus, on the other hand, looked at his disciples and said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Uh, it's got to come from within. If it doesn't come from within, it's not going to happen. So, how... <laughs> You know that 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 brings up like this this conflict for me between um, you know if, if it comes from within that 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 process is a mystic process yeah. to me you know it, yeah. it's a very personal mm -hmm. mystic process that's going to be different for everybody yep. versus what religion says which is do what we say take it on faith and don't look outside of yourself. Yeah, yeah. Or, or don't look beyond what we're telling you. Yeah, 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 that's right. Uh, religion is a, a hothouse for power-hungry people. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and, and, and you know, I was guilty of it in the past, too. I, I'd go up in the pulpit every single Sunday morning, and I'd see people just looking at me and they were without realizing they were saying, Jim, tell me, tell me something that'll make sense out of my life. Tell me something that'll make my life meaningful. Um, and I found myself counting the house, you know, oh, we got seven or more people this Sunday than we did last Sunday. You know, what a good boy am I? Again, it's that human hubris, the idea that we measure, we measure our message by numbers when, as you just said, the answer is going to be found one at a time, each and every single one of us. We either have the image of God stamped upon our psyches or we don't. And quite frankly, that's what bothers me because I think we're standing at a kind of a, 
a crossroads that, and you know, you and I have talked in past uh, podcasts about the crossroads that we're at in lost civilizations that I mm -hmm. think probably came to this very same point and um, had to make a decision because their, their grasp um, had exceeded their wisdom. Uh, and they were like today playing with toys that we just don't understand. Just look at the state of the world today. Uh, the Middle East is once again heading toward that powder keg uh, between Turkey and Syria and Judaism and Israel and what's going on over there. Um, we've got the wildfires that are sweeping through California and the floods that are sweeping through Europe. We've got climate out of control. Um, we've got all of these things that could have been pre prevented, but we we didn't have the will. And uh, it's only a matter of time before somebody, some terrorist organization gets hold of a nuke and blows up a big city someplace. And, and uh, before that time comes, I think we have to make a decision. Uh, what way are we going to go? We're at, we're at a crossroads today. It's a serious, serious crossroads. And uh, I frankly sometimes get pretty discouraged. Um, I may not see it in my lifetime, but in, mm -hmm. certainly in the lifetime of my kids or my grandkids, we're going to have to either make a decision or become another lost civilization, so to speak. I hope not. You know, yeah. I mean, one of the reasons I, I do this podcast is I don't tell, I try not to tell people what to yeah, believe, yeah. but I do hope to get them to question because mm -hmm. that's the only, to me, that's that's the best way to go is for people to ask their own questions and look for their own answers. Yeah, it's got to be you know, that don't, way. don't depend on somebody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we, uh, we like it explained and given to us in nice, easy doses. But as a result, uh, we're a people who just aren't very... Well, probably because of the culture we live in. We're just not very spiritual. Hopefully, there's more and more people coming. I, I, I couldn't help. A couple of weeks ago, oh, once every five or six years, I have to read Huckleberry Finn again. <laughs> um, and uh, I was reading a story about Huckleberry Finn and Huck and uh, and, and uh, Jim, the runaway slave, have taken on these two shysters, you know, who are going into town and figuring out ways they can build the population. And one, uh, one town they go into, they, they decide to have a revival and uh, pass the plate, you know, <laughs> get the money and then get out of town. And uh, when they do that, they're sailing down the river and Huck says that uh, in this particular town, well, we managed to get their money. I mean, they, they managed, you know, the, the shysters managed to fool the people. But at least in the taverns of the town for the next couple of months, there was much talk of religious themes such as predestination and um, free will or whatever. <laughs> and nowadays, I don't even think people talk about it, even that stuff. <laughs> you know, it, just isn't a part of our vocabulary to sit there and and talk about things that are important and oh what a what a shame that is that's why i'm thankful for podcasts such as yours because yeah. it 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 really does open up you know it makes people say what do i think what can i do about this you know a lot of it is a lifestyle we live frankly i mean let's face it we live in a busy 
noisy time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's such a shame because to really develop a spiritual lifestyle, it it takes takes time alone. It takes quiet. It takes meditation. It takes uh, thought. And we just don't do that anymore. We're running around from here. And when we do sit down, we have to have a television on or we bring out our smartphone. You know, we just can't sit and think. Um, I, I've seen people actually panic in a doctor's office because uh, they sit down there and they forgot their phone or something. And there are no magazines. What am I supposed to do? Just sit? I can't just <laughs> sit. Who does that? You know? And when we get home, we turn on the television, not that we want to see anything, just, just to let it roll, you know? And uh, it's a, it's a noisy time uh, and it's a awkward time and it's a difficult time. That's why I think the old timers were so far ahead of us. I I think they, they had what I like to call a, a psychic toolkit that uh, we don't, we've forgotten how to use it. We've forgotten what it's about. We really have. And uh, it's, it's, it's a shame. Uh, because we have such potential if we can just use it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of the things that I talk about a lot lately is our loss of our psychic abilities. I, I do yeah. think that humans, at yeah. the very least, we have telepic, telepathy abilities. Yeah. And, yes. and, and, and that alone, if people realize they have that ability, is a game changer. Yeah. Because oh, all yeah. of a sudden you have like this ability to connect with somebody at a psychic level, feel and see and understand what they're feeling, which yeah. totally eliminates that divide between people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've had some long distance conversations with uh, Dean Radin um, out at the Noetic Institute in California, and they're actually doing uh, scientific research into this very subject. And their number one problem, of course, is always funding. Uh, you know, I think it's probably one of some of the most important stuff we can do. And yet we, we can't get serious research to go into funding this kinds of things. So since you can't find what you're not looking for, how do we expect to gain it back? I, I, I had a, this experience when I was uh, in Egypt. A group of us were going underneath the Great Pyramid. And, of course, in Egypt, you can't just go under, you know, walk into the pyramid by yourself. You're going to have an Egyptian guide. And the Egyptian guides are are trained and and, uh, they're, you know, given the latest thought. And, of course, any idea of uh, the idea that ancient Egyptians might have had some kind of a technology, be it psychic or whatever, uh, is just forbidden in Egypt. You just don't do that. So we're, we're walking a small group of us. We're walking underneath the pyramid and we're going down this long pathway. It's on a, a wooden ramp because they don't want to scuff on our feet up. And, and uh, it's getting darker and darker. But I see that along the ramp, there are these wires that are on the ground. And the purpose of the wires was to light up the lights that would go on ahead of us mm-hmm. through motion sensors as we went in. And uh, it occurred to me... How did they get underneath here to work when they didn't have those wires and didn't have electricity? So I asked the guide. Uh, I, I looked around on the, the ceiling and on the walls, and there was no sign of smudge or smoke or anything like that. Um, and so there was no torches. And I said to him, uh, how did they see to get underneath here? And the guide, he deliberately turned away from me walked away and said, oh, they must have had some kind of a power source. And that was it. And he walked away. 
that was his explanation. They had some kind of a power source. Obviously, they had some kind of way of doing it. Um, and it wasn't obviously insisted on wires or the technology that we know. They must have had some kind mm-hmm. of a power source. Now, could that have been some kind of a psychic ability to bring light in the darkness? I I don't know. But we'll never find out if we don't start asking these kinds of questions. Yeah, that's interesting. I always kind of assume, like, they did find those clay pots that were, like, <clears throat> batteries where they put, mm-hmm. like, uh, salt water and this, like, type, some type of acidic stuff yeah. in there. Yeah. And it would create a reaction that would generate enough electricity to light up a light bulb. Yeah. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be interesting if we actually put some money into that kind of research to develop some of these things to see? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, and And when we do look into our psychic abilities we te- we tend to cover it up uh we've just found out within the last decade or so that this is exactly what the army was doing they were training people mm-hmm. in psychic research uh for remote viewing and things like this and i've talked to a couple of the guys who are actually in that program uh who are forbidden to talk about it and here's the army putting money into remote viewing uh, and of course, they were going to use it for spy purposes <laughs> in the war. You know, we always have a military reason for it. But wouldn't it be great if we could actually uh, start to develop some of this stuff? And when we do do it, tell people we're doing it, rather than right. just keep it keep it secret, keep it hidden. Right. I, one of my guests um, was a part of Project Stargate and the remote mm. viewing, and he actually sent me some of the tapes, the original tapes that Bob Monroe had created for oh, it. Oh, yeah. And um, he sent them to me. We copied them. I sent them back. And mysteriously, he seems to have vanished. I cannot get in touch with him. Wow. So now wow. I'm like, well, what do I do with these? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know. I I hate to think that way, and I hate to get into conspiracy theories, but I, all I know is when Censoring God came out, uh, the first six podcasts I did, every single one of them didn't make it to the air right away because there were technical difficulties or uh, because something happened that we couldn't get together. Six times in a row, I began to suspect, <laughs> wait a minute, Something's going on. <laughs> you know, yeah. somebody doesn't want this book out there. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. You know, I hate to I hate to talk that way, but it, it happens. So then you say, hmm, what was it? I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's like I managed to lose two computers in the same day. Wow. And I was like, okay. oh, this can't be a coincidence either. It's never <laughs> happened. <Yeah. laughs> oh, my <laughs> my son teaches a uh uh a, a course, an actual course in uh, recognizing conspiracy theory, but his his favorite story is uh, he tells the story. He said, "Well, two or, or th- uh, three conspiracy theorists walk into a bar. That can't be a coincidence." <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't know what to make of it, but uh, all I know is. It's it's a mystery. It's a mystery. How do you lose two computers in a day? I don't know. I I, I suspect <clears throat> my, my my conspiracy theory is that um just like with cable TV, they used to be able to send those boards to your cable box and shut it down. Oh yeah. I suspect that maybe they can do the same thing if your computer is online. Yep. 
it makes you wonder, doesn't it? What is possible out there? Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I don't close my mind to most anything nowadays. It's, it's everything seems once seemed fantastic. Now, I'm not so sure. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. One of the favorite things that was in your book that I had never read before was the Hopi mythology. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, that was really, I don't know. I, I, I just kind of really connected with that mythology that, that you yeah. shared in your book. Yeah. Can, yeah. can you share a little bit about that? And when, it was just uh, so good. And you kind of end on that note, too, in the book. Yeah. When when my wife and I were writing uh, Armageddon Now, The End of the World, A to Z, uh, we lived out in Arizona for about a year and a half. And when we were out there, we had a chance to uh, talk to some Hopi elders. Um, and, of course, they know a whole lot more than they tell us about. Mm -hmm. um, it, they just have learned the hard way that you can't share all of this. But to make a long story short, the Hopi, uh, the, the crux of the Hopi story is that the creation story is that we are living now in the fourth world. Um, and each of the previous three worlds were destroyed by flood, by water, by fire, whatever. And uh, there's all kinds of stories that we, you think, okay, it's just a religious myth. But in the last world, the third world, they tell the story about uh, uh, the people had developed what they called flying shields. Yeah. You could sit on one of these shields and you could go far away and uh, destroy a village and ransack a village uh, and uh, get back before they even know you were going. That's an awfully strange story if it doesn't have some basis in fact. Could it be that in a previous generation, a previous civilization, uh, flight had already been discovered? Um, we just don't know. Uh, another strange thing is when they talk about the uh, the flood story and the Hopi story, uh, the world was destroyed by a great flood, but the Hopi people were saved in this world by their friends, the ant people. Mm -hmm. um, and in Hopi, uh, the word ant is uh, the word uh, Anu, and uh, the word for people or friends is Naki. So ant people in Hopi comes out to Anunnaki, which is exactly the same word that is used half a world away when they said, who was it that destroyed the world and who was it that saved uh, Atnapashtim mm -hmm. in, the great, in the Great Flood? It was the Anunnaki. Um, how did that same word wind up half a, half a world away? I, I don't know. But the Hopi believe that uh, we're rapidly coming to the end of, of this time, that there will, there will come a time when uh, the people will be, when, when this world will be destroyed uh, as the previous three worlds were destroyed. And so in that sense, it's a lot like, uh, it's a lot like Christianity. We're looking for the destruction of this world and the beginning of a, what the Bible calls a new heaven and a new earth. Hmm. Do you think the uh, fifth one will work? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. You can... One one can only hope. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, and it's and it's strange. Um, the connections, for instance, uh, in in the we talked earlier about the uh, the reason for the flood 
coming in Genesis, which was in in some ways very similar to the Hopi story. But uh, in in the Bible, it says that as we as we mentioned before. Uh, the world was destroyed by a flood because of the hybrids that were gone, these Mm -hmm. giants, these unique people. Well, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, there was a little um, fragment of a scroll that was discovered that uh, is called a Genesis Apocryphon. And it tells a story of a man by the name of Lamak. Um, In English, we usually say Lamech, but Lamak. Mm -hmm who uh, was the great-grandson or the great-grandfather of Noah. Now, uh, at this time, of course, the sons of God were dating the mating with the children of men, and the offspring were called Nephilim. Well, when uh, Lamach's son was born, uh, he went into the birthing hut afterwards, and he looked at this baby and this baby was not only a huge baby, but it was glowing. And he accused his wife of being one of the daughters of men who had an affair with uh, the uh, sons of, of God. Now, okay, what the story is telling us is that Lamach's son was one of these Nephilim. But this was the grandfather of Noah. That meant that Noah was also a blood kin Mm -hmm. to the Nephilim. Now, Noah was the one who was saved. He was God's do-over. And theoretically, according to the book of Genesis, we're all descended from Noah. Now, if Noah was the product, a half-breed product of an offspring between a spiritual son of God and a physical daughter of men, and Noah was one of these offspring, and Noah is our ancestor— what does that make us? Hybrids. There you go. There you go. We have, we have met the uh, the aliens, and they are us. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe that's uh, the way it's supposed to be. Uh, you know, maybe. maybe maybe that's how the evolution works. One of the things that I've also found interesting in the Hopi story is every time one of these things happen, people survive. Mm-hmm. So, so, so that means it has continued on all the way from the very original people. Yes. Yeah. There's always survived. Even today, if there was a, a great nuclear holocaust that wiped out the world, not everybody would die. Uh, there would be people who would get along just fine without technology and technological infrastructure. They live in the Kalahari. They live in the desert uh, in the deserts of, of uh, Egypt. They live in Africa. Uh, they live in South America. There are still Stone Age hunter-gatherer people um, who would get along just fine. You know, mm-hmm. Comet, hit New- Comet uh, knocks out the infrastructure in New York City, and three or four days later, we're in absolute panic, and there's rioting in the streets, but these people wouldn't even pay any attention to it. And I think there's there's always survivors, always. Even in the Atlantis story, uh, the civilization of Atlantis, uh, the island was destroyed, Plato says, in a night and a day. But in the Egyptian Edfu texts, uh, it tells about these mysterious people who sailed in from the Western Ocean. And uh, they were seen to be so technologically superior, they were seen as gods, uh, magicians. Mm-hmm. And they were they were there at the Zeptepi, at the beginning time of Egypt. 
Um, so even in the Atlantis tradition, uh, there, it, we carry this idea that there were survivors and that they pass it on. We've just forgotten who we are. That's all. I love Graham Hancock's uh, uh, idea that we are a species with amnesia. We have, <laughs> we have forgotten who we are. We what, really have. One of the other cool things that you bring up in your book, too, is you, you always – a lot of these stories – seem to point towards a region near Gobekli Tepe. Yes, yes. And and that area sort of being a hub of trade and also a place that was sort of left untouched or left unharmed by all the religious conflict that went on for quite a while. And and even at the beginning of it, probably. Mm -hmm. um, Gobekli Tepe, we we talked earlier about the date for that uh, Plato gave and the date of the fall of Atlantis and you know 12,800 years ago, 11,800 years ago. And um Gobekli Tepe is that place right on the fertile crescent where if there were survivors, I've got a sneaking suspicion from that great deluge, the great biblical flood, whatever it was, the ice caps breaking or whatever. That was where it all began again. Here we got uh, on the plains of Anatolia, southern Anatolia, right in the Fertile Crescent, where, right with the place where Noah's Ark was said to have landed, right in the place where the four rivers yeah. spring forth from the Garden of Eden, right in that place. A group of hunter-gatherers got up one morning and said, hey, I got an idea. Let's start moving megaton boulders all over the landscape and building the first temple in the history of humankind. And oh, by the way, we can't figure out how to feed the workforce, so let's invent agriculture at the same time. And this very, very sophisticated temple is just shows up almost overnight. Where did those people, those hunter-gatherers, where did they learn to do this? They either took a quantum leap forward one morning and invented the process, or they were taught the process. And if they were taught the process, there's only two places they could have been taught. Either people from outside the earth, and now we're into ancient alien concept, or survivors of the the, the Holocaust who saw in Gobekli Tepe a place to rebuild mm -hmm. and, and rebuild their lost civilization. Um, next uh, May, I'm leading a group to uh, to Turkey, hopefully. <laughs> we were supposed to go last September, and of course, COVID came in, and that was transferred to this September, but it's still not right. And mm -hmm. now the political situation over there is up <laughs> in the air, too, but we're scheduled to go in May. Uh, and I'm one of the, uh, the leaders of this group, along with uh, Dr. Mickey Pistorius from Ancient Origins Magazine. They've partnered together with this tourist organization, and and so we're supposed to lead a group to uh, to Turkey, and we're going to explore a lot of these ancient sites. But we're going to spend two days uh, at Gobekli Tepe, uh, seeing it. Uh, a fascinating thing. People said about Egyptians that um, Egypt was the first uh, people who were capable of building the kind of structures like the pyramids. And they say there couldn't have been anybody beforehand because the technology did not exist. Now comes Gobekli Tepe, built 6,000 years before the pyramids. Uh, and obviously, the same kinds of technologies were involved. Mm -hmm. Huge megaton boulders standing up. Intricate carved uh, symbolic uh, images of um, 
animals and icons, religious icons, uh, extremely sophisticated um, archaeology in the sense of astronomy and their concept of where the stars were and how they oriented the building and everything else. We've only dug up so far about 5% of what's there. Ground penetrating radar shows that 95% of the complex is still not dug up. And in the last couple of years, even more places in, in uh, Anatolia have been discovered. Something happened there. It was the beginning, and it happened at precisely at the time of the end of the last uh, Younger Dryas Ice Age. That's where it began for us. And I think there at Gobekli Tepe, there was a a, a a restart of a civilization that had been destroyed. And that was that civilization is us. That's the home of Abraham, uh, uh, right down near Gobekli Tepe. Mm -hmm. It's the home of uh, some great, great religious uh, religions that are in the world today. And it all began right there. Right. You know, it's, it's funny, like, like there's so much emphasis on the Temple Mound in Israel. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we're looking at the wrong place. Yeah. It's hard. It could be. It could be. The Temple of, I mean, obviously Solomon's Temple is, is, uh, was an absolutely huge undertaking and, and uh, everything else. But boy, that was, that was like, by the time Solomon's Temple was built, uh, Gobekli Tepe was already buried, ready for urban mm -hmm. renewal. That was the other mystery about Gobekli Tepe. Uh, the best work, the most sophisticated work, seems to be at the bottom of the dig. It was deliberately buried. Uh, why? Nobody knows for sure. I like your theory that it's a time capsule. And oh, I, I, and I think, like, hopefully, I'm hoping that we find some hieroglyphs or scrolls or something to yeah. bury there. So some kind of knowledge that's left there for us to find, to finally... Maybe yeah, a little bit more answers. Well, it, it I, I'm holding out great hopes for that. Uh, there is on one of the uh, one of the great big mounds, uh, the big T-shaped mounds. Mm -hmm. There is a, a pecked into the mound is a, a a sky chart showing the constellations of the stars, but it's not the constellations as they existed. 12,000 years ago, you know, constellations have changed a lot since then. You know, we've, thanks to precession of the earth, we've mm -hmm. wobbled a bit. Uh, it doesn't show the sky chart as it was then. It shows the sky chart as it is now. That's odd. In other words, they were pointing to the future. Uh, were they telling us that when the sky looks like this, uh, you'll understand why we buried this? What happened? Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's the real second coming. Oh, wouldn't that be neat? Wouldn't that be neat? Yeah. 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 Acknowledge mm -hmm. of where we really came from, who we really are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, this latest uh, big uh, excitement was when the military, just in the last couple of weeks, um, showed us the, the pictures of uh, UFOs that they can't explain, and everybody yeah. saw and began to talk about them. And uh, people were saying, well, right away, is it a threat? Is it a threat? And I, I was asked the question, do you, do you find this threatening? I said, well, if it's a threat, why aren't they threatening us? Why are they trying to get away? It's almost as if they're watching us because they're saying, at some point, you guys are going to make your decision what way you're going to go as a culture. Uh, and at that point, if you make the right decision, we'll come down and help you. But you got to do it on your own. Uh, 
is that the second coming? Uh, could be. I don't know. I don't know. I just throw it out there and see what happens. It's all connected somehow, probably. I think so. so something I, that I can't understand, but yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's certainly an interesting time to live and to be able to uh, ask these questions at least. That's for sure. That's for sure. And and uh, I'm just so thankful to you and uh, and your podcast and people like you that have a an audience out there of people connected, uh, community growing uh, through through this kind of media. I've got friends. Uh, I've got a musician that I'm working with for a new book that we're uh, making an audio book out of it. a musician in India, uh, a good friend in Baltimore, another friend and two friends in Portugal, uh, people in Europe. Uh, I've never met these people face to face. You know, mm -hmm. we've Skyped or Zoom, but that's about it. And through this, um, discovering a whole community of like minded people who are asking these kinds of questions. Uh, I think that's a wonderful thing. I really do. I do too. Like I'm very, very grateful to have been able to talk to all the people I've talked to. Oh, I, mean, I can. I imagine. just started a year ago, and I've done like 300 episodes, and yes, <clears throat> learned so much. And yeah, uh, I yeah. mean, have I found any answers? No, and I kind of hope I don't in yeah, some ways. Yeah, yeah you yeah. know, <clears throat> that might be disappointing. Yeah, you know. Well. I'll, I'll bet if we do find answers to some of the questions we're talking about now, they will be immediately replaced by questions uh, that we don't even know how to ask yet. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff that's, that we don't even part. know that we know. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Awesome. So uh, this was fantastic, man. I love you. Thank you for uh, taking the time to be on. Well, thank you. I I really appreciate it. It's it's just such a, a always a pleasure to talk with you. That's for sure. This is great. Thank you. So before we wrap it up, where can my listeners find you and buy oh, I, your, your new book? Well, I hope they can find me. Uh, the easiest way is just go to my website, www.jimwillis.net. And uh, that will lead you to links to my YouTube page where we're doing videos on some of these things that we've talked about. It'll lead you to my Facebook page. And there's also a contact section there uh, where you, if you want to contact me, uh, you can send me an email through the contact page because I love to hear from people. You and I talk, mm -hmm. and we have no idea who out there is listening. <laughs> and when people can get in touch with me through the contact page, jimwillis.net, uh, I've made some wonderful friends and had some great discussions through that. So I hope they do. Awesome. Well, I will post a link to your website. Thank you. In the notes of this much. episode. And um, we'll call that a wrap. And, uh, <laughs> Thank just, you, Gary. Great. I just have to play the outro. Great to be with you once again. It was awesome. You're Until fantastic. next time. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review, 
and subscribe.